Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. But keep in mind, we're going to start in Acts 15, but then we're going to rather quickly jump over to Romans 14. So take your pick if you want to choose one. I'd recommend Romans 14. What's your, uh, what's your impulse when somebody says something to you that you know is incorrect and it, it sort of bothers you that they're wrong? What's your impulse? Some of you just like, whatever, just let it go. And then there are some of you who are like, well, actually, <laughs> and then you've, you've got to correct them. It's very annoying. Um, like, for example, uh, man, Red Dawn, you know, that was like the first PG-13 movie ever. They just had PG and R before that, and Red Dawn came out, and it was, they had to create, the MPA had to create a whole new rating for PG-13. It wasn't R, but it wasn't PG, and then you're like, well, actually, uh, the MPAA first gave that rating to the Flamingo Kid, but it wasn't, like, that's annoying, right? I know that that's annoying because I'm that guy. I am the guy that does that. My wife's like, shush, don't. You don't have to say everything if you think somebody is wrong. It's, 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 it's not cool. It's impolite. I mean, if you're nerding out with a peer and you're, you're into it, fine, but most people don't find it helpful. I was just at uh, La Vida last week. It was a local cigar shop with Ray, and we were discussing movies, and we were going over our top 10 best actors. It's a Sabbath event, right? So we're, we're top 10 best actors of all time. We had criteria, standards. We had the whole thing, and we're going through it one at a time. We had our five runners up, and then we had 10, 9, all the way down to one, and I get to my number one, and it's a good choice, and I'm laying it out there, and then he gets to his number one, and before he can say anything, uh, this guy comes over and starts talking about his favorite. And so, like, I feel like we're really nice. We're really charitable. You know, we're Christians. You know, we want to be kind and friendly. And then, and then we've, that 15 minutes later, he leaves. And so Ray gets to give his pick, not as good as mine. And so we're done with that. And then this guy who's always there, he kind of leans back in his chair. And he's like, how are you going to have a top 10 actors list and not have Harrison Ford? And as we all know, like, He's not on anybody's top 10 best actors list. And it, like, I really, I already, I already spent all of my mercy on first guy. And now, like, I want to let this guy have it. Like, we all love Harrison Ford, but he's not anybody's top 10 best at, whatever. Point is, some things matter. Some things matter. Some things are worth arguing about. Some things are worth debating. But most of the time, we could get away with just being a little more charitable, uh, a little less argumentative. But in the church, we get confused, right? Because we're not talking about top 10 best actors, Gary Oldman, by the way. We're not talking about top 10 best actors. We're not talking about pop culture. We're talking about truth, right? We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about theology. We're talking about God. And so we get very serious, appropriately so, about these topics. And so when somebody's wrong, it's hard to not want to address the issue. And much of the time, we need to address the issue. Most of the time, we have to address the issue with charity and clarity. But we don't always have to push back on every single difference that we have when it comes to matters of conscience and our confession. Now, we're going to see this in Acts chapter 15. We've already seen it. We're also going to see it in Romans chapter 14. And here's the principle I just want us to hold on to. This is it. Deference. Deference, not defiance, should be the posture of Christians toward one another. 
I am not suggesting that we don't need to ever fight. We do. We must contend for the faith. And if somebody's, uh, you know, teaching heresy, I'm not saying be like, be, be like a St. Nicholas and punch that heretic in the face like he did to Arius, allegedly. Uh, I'm saying you have to confront heresy. You've got to deal with it head on, of course. But in general, the principle ought to be deference, not defiance, should be the posture of Christians toward one another. Now, why are we talking about this? It's because in Acts, this is going to be a long intro, and then we're going to have three simple points, right, out of Romans 14. In the book of Acts, right, Paul and uh, his guys, they go on this, this missionary trip, right, this first missionary journey. So it's, it's Paul and Barnabas, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're planting churches. They get back to, back to Antioch, and in chapter 15, we see that there are some people that come down from Judea into Antioch, and they are preaching a false gospel, right? They're, they're, they're close in that they've got Jesus, faith in Christ. You've got you to believe that he lived and died and rose again, but they're also saying if you are going to be a legit, a real Christian, if you're going to be saved, you must be circumcised, right? If you're not circumcised, you're definitely not saved. And so there was some debate about this, appropriate, right? There was some discussion. There was some argumentation. They, they go up to Jerusalem to the other apostles and the elders, and they say, let's settle this matter, and they do. They settle the matter. They say, uh, no, Gentiles by birth do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So this was clearly established, it was articulated, there was no confusion. But then, then James, right, one of the apostles, James makes this statement in verses 19 through 21. He gives some practical advice and offers them, uh, offers them an opportunity to be accommodating, Right? Uh, look at what he says here. This is after all the debate has been settled. How are people saved by faith alone in Christ alone? Acts chapter 15, verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but... We should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. And so the Gentiles were, are, are told, they're going to be told, right? They're going to be told, hey, listen, uh, don't worry about the circumcision thing. That's crazy. You have a relationship with God through Christ. You have, he's your high priest. All is good. Sins are forgiven, full access, citizen of the kingdom of God. You're good. But as you are living among these Jewish believers, it would be a good idea for you to essentially keep the dietary laws. You know, just, you know, don't, don't cause them frustration over something that's just not that big of a deal. It sounds strange, but he's pointing out, listen, they've been reading Moses. This has been a part of their, their thinking for so long. They haven't yet got to the place where they understand their freedom from those dietary restrictions. And this is actually what's happening in Romans chapter 14. And the reason we're jumping over to Romans uh, 14 is because there Paul clarifies how we're supposed to handle matters of conscience, and he deals with this issue specifically. But also because in the passage that we would cover today, Acts 15, 22 through 35, it's simply the same thing that we just read. 
they go back and they share that very message with the people. So we're dealing with matters of of controversy, but also matters of conscience. And this was a real problem in the early church. You essentially have two groups of people in the early church. You have a smaller group of people, usually primarily made up of Jewish converts, right? Jewish followers of Christ, but not all, not all of them. And it wasn't only made up of Jewish followers. So you had some, some, some Jewish followers of Christ who made up this smaller group who believed that it was important to continue to follow the old covenant dietary restrictions, right? God said, these foods are unclean. Do not eat them. And so they followed those old covenant dietary restrictions. And then there was a larger group, um, primarily but not exclusively made up of Gentiles. And this larger group understood their freedom in Christ, that they are not under the old covenant. They are in the new covenant. And those old covenant civil laws, which governed Israel as a theocracy, are no longer binding on people that live in the church, that live in the, the new covenant era. So those laws that were given to Israel, just for example, um, you, Leviticus 14, I think, is a great place to go if you want to read some of these. But uh, no pork, most of you know that one, no shellfish, which are two of the best tasting meats on the planet as far as I'm concerned. So I'm in the larger group. They understood their freedom, like the larger group understood we're free to eat these things because the truth of the matter, there is a difference of opinion. There's a matter of conscience here. The truth is Jesus said all food is clean in Mark chapter 7, verses 15 through 19. Listen to what Jesus says. Mark chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then you also are without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. Jesus is establishing for his disciples that in the new covenant, there will not be these dietary restrictions. We are not gathered as a nation intended to be visually and ethically, morally separated from the world, right? Uh, We are in every tribe, every tongue, and we have the law of God, the moral law of God that continues to guide us and lead us and tell us what's right. Those civil laws are laid aside. God himself declares the same thing to Peter in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, where Peter has this vision, and God, three times, because Peter's slow at getting this point. In fact, this becomes an issue for Peter as we go forward. Peter is slow to really embrace this principle. He tends to lean towards that smaller group, while the apostle Paul is in the larger group. Anyways, so God gives Peter this vision, and we've covered this. Letting him know all foods are now clean. You can eat all foods. You are no longer bound by these dietary restrictions. You can read that in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. So yes, the truth is, the right answer is, you do not need to keep Old Testament dietary laws. Christians, believers in Christ, in this new covenant, we... We are not bound by that. We are bound by God's moral law. Think 10 commandments, all these positive commands that we have in the New Testament. This is what God has given us. 
But not everyone, not everyone learns at the, at the same time, right? Not everyone learns at the same rate. Some of you are smarter than me. And maybe I'm smarter than some of you. I don't know. And even besides, it's not even about who's smarter, is it? Because you can be brilliant and be very wrong. We have brilliant scientists who disbelieve in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have brilliant scientists who follow Jesus faithfully. So we're all at different places for different reasons. And some people are slower to grasp some doctrines than others. And it just so happens that there was a smaller group of Christians following Jesus who were just so tied up into these old covenant dietary laws because it was a part of their life embedded into the fabric of their everyday living. It was just hard for them to disassociate from that and to eat freely what has never been allowed before. So how do we handle this? How do we handle these matters of conscience. I'm going to give you three points. Before I do, let me clarify this. We're dealing with matters of conscience. What we're not dealing with are gospel issues, right? There is no debate about the gospel here, right? At this point, we're not talking about how can a person be saved. Here we're talking about what am I supposed to do with God's laws that speak about dietary restrictions. So Christians who love the Lord and are trying to love each other are encountering some sort of conflict, some sort of controversy. There is a misunderstanding of God's law on the part of one group, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to be faithful to the Lord while they follow their conscience. We're going to talk a lot about conscience today. So Paul helps us in Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 23. Romans chapter 14, 1 through 23. The question is, how do we handle matters of conscience and controversy, and I'll give you the three points now, right? Since it's a weird sermon that's top-heavy with a super long intro. Three things we need to do according to Paul. Number one, be charitable. We see this in verses one through four. Be charitable toward one another. Uh, number two, in verses five through 12, follow your conscience. And number three, protect your brother and sister. Those are the three basic principles here. So number one, be charitable. We're going to start off in Romans chapter 14, looking at verses one through four. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So we're dealing with the same basic issue here. There are people that are struggling with these dietary restrictions, and so they're not going to eat meat. Oftentimes, they're only eating vegetables because there is no meat for them to eat that is, in their minds, and according to the Old Covenant, clean, so they eat only vegetables. And what does, what does Paul tell them in the midst of this? He says, well, first of all, understand that there are weak and strong Christians. Now, this doesn't mean like super spiritual Christians and, 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 and spiritually weak Christians. He's speaking about the conscience here, right? And so weak Christians, in this case, right, the weak are those who 
misunderstand their freedom in Christ from the Old Testament laws that were civil, and it's a misunderstanding of how to apply the law even more specifically. That's what it meant to be weaker. It means your conscience is held captive to something that God is no longer calling you to observe. So they have a conscience that is in some ways more sensitive, and in some senses like a stronger conscience, but in another sense it's weaker because it's not exclusively conformed to the word of God. So the weak Christians, according to Paul, are those who are bound by their conscience to keep traditions that God no longer demands. That makes sense? Okay. Here's what the weak are not. The weak are not Christians who are easily offended. That's not what we're talking about here. Some people are very easily offended. They're offended at just about anything that isn't to their liking. That is not what Paul has in mind here. Uh, some people who are easily offended need to learn to get over it or to mind their own business or to keep their mouth shut, right? Uh, those who are easily offended are not what we're talking about here. We're talking about those who are weak in their consciences where they misunderstand their freedom and misapply the law. The strong are not super strong Christians that are better than everybody else. It simply means they are strong in their conscience because they understand the freedom that they have from those old covenant laws, so they have freedom, and they can exercise that freedom. Now, so Paul's addressing both. He's talking to both. There's weak and there's strong. And what is his message here in verses 1 through 4? He says, uh, in short, you guys need to learn to respect each other. You guys need to learn not how to tolerate each other, but how to welcome each other. You welcome each other because you're brothers and sisters. You have one Lord. You share one faith. You shared in one baptism. You all have one spirit. You are together, united around the gospel. And you have a difference of opinion as it relates to these Old Testament laws. And some of you are wrong and some of you are right. But in practice, in relationships, you can both wind up being wrong by mistreating one another, by not being kind and hospitable. You know, here Paul is saying, do not judge, right? That's what he says. Do not judge. Listen, if, if you're stronger in the faith and understand your liberty, don't judge those who are weaker as if they're just incompatible with the church or with the faith. Understand them. And it goes the other way. Listen, you know, we, we, Paul is marking some off as weaker, right? They are weaker. They're struggling with their freedom. But it's, they can have the same struggle. They can see these brothers who Paul says are stronger as being a little too liberal, a little too loose with this so-called liberty. They're the smaller group. And by the way, smaller groups, smaller groups like smaller people oftentimes have a complex. <laughs> and we like to, like to puff up and make ourselves big and strong and we're smaller, but yeah, but we're tougher, we're right. And it's like narrow is the, narrow is the path, right? So like we're obviously the right ones. It's happening on both sides. And so Paul is telling them, he's, he's pleading with them, I want you guys to respect each other, to welcome each other. If one wants to abstain, let him. And if one wants to eat, let him. Mind your business. Be courteous. Be kind, right? That seems to be the point, doesn't it? See, we're, you, be charitable, right? Be charitable as much as you want to be right. See, it's easier to, to be right than charitable, isn't it? I like being right. I like having the answers. I like having the answers. 
Like one time, I told David Cook that the first PG-13 movie was Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he told me, no, it's not. And I was like, sure it is. He was like, no, it's Red Dawn. I was like, oh, I like being right, right? Thankfully, he was charitable and wasn't the will actually kind of guy. He was helping me figure things out. So it's like, I like to be right. We all like to have the truth, but that's the easy part. Being kind and compassionate and humble towards one another, when you think that you are right, that is more of a challenge. So yes, I want you to want to be right. You should want to be right. You should want to be accurate, theologically precise, yes, but you should equally want to be charitable. So number one, be charitable. Number two, follow your conscience. We see this in verses five through 12 of Romans chapter 14. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Why is he talking about days here? There's debate about this, but it's probably because many of these days were festival days, feast days that were associated with food, right? So it's still kind of revolving around food. So one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Again, it's the Old Testament, Old Covenant calendar. It's the Old Covenant laws. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Let the one who observes the day observe it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end... Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Follow your conscience. You know, Paul says, listen, I know some of you are, are wrapped up in, in, in observing some of these things. Notice that they are tripping over what is explicitly in the scripture. There, there is a misunderstanding of what they have to do. It's not that it's wrong to do it, but they're compelled by their conscience that they have to do it. And so they follow their conscience and they do so. And Paul says, listen, if they want to do it, let them do it. Good on them. You know what? They're doing it to glorify God. And if you aren't doing it, good, don't do it. And those of you who keep those days and eat those foods, let those who don't honor the Lord in that way. The point here is that they, they all are square on the gospel. They all know Jesus. There's no confusion about how a person is saved and reconciled to God. But there is a confusion on some of these issues. It's a conscience issue. So what is a conscience? How do, you, how do you understand that thing inside of you that alerts you that you're doing something wrong or encourages you to do something right? Well, that's essentially what the conscience is. The conscience is this part of you given to you by God. It's like a compass. It's supposed to point due north, right? Right? It's supposed to tell you this is the way. Your conscience is that immaterial part of your soul that tells you 
what's right and what's wrong. Of course, sin has come into the world and our consciences are a little, a little out of whack, right? They need recalibration. They need to be fixed. And what we learn as we read scripture and we continue to work, our, work out our understanding of, of the conscience, we know that everyone has one. Right? And it is this thing that's telling us what's right or wrong. And we all have the same basic conscience, right? In fact, Paul makes this point in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 specifically. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, right? They weren't raised on the law, they didn't have the Torah read to them. So he says, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. So that's what conscience does, right? It accuses, this is wrong, danger, bad, or it excuses, right on, way to go, keep doing that. Now, the, the Second London Confession of Faith, our, our Baptist Confession of Faith, in chapter 21, it's three great paragraphs on the doctrine of the liberty of conscience. It's a very important chapter for us. And there the point is made in paragraph two that, that the Lord and the Lord alone is the Lord of your conscience. He created you, he created it. And what this means then is that because he is the Lord of conscience, you should not allow your conscience to be oppressed by any other person, movement, organization, preacher, or teacher. It should be God in his word that is constantly forming and reforming and strengthening your conscience. Conscience is that thing that accuses or excuses you, and your conscience can be helped or it can be hurt in the process, right? So that's what the conscience is. And we're told, follow your conscience, right? Follow your conscience. Now, why would we be encouraged to follow our conscience? I mean, Paul's doing this all through Romans 14. He's doing it in 1 Corinthians 8. It's because we have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit, but both of those things are doing their work on our conscience. And so when there's matters of disagreement, what can you do? You have two people, good people who love Jesus, arguing different points of an opinion. So what, what can you do but say, well, I'm going to follow my conscience in this matter. I'm not going to go against what I am convinced is right as I look at God's word. In fact, Martin Luther, right, the great, the great Protestant reformer, he got in trouble. Uh, and not just because he swore a lot. Uh, Martin Luther, he didn't get in any trouble for that. Uh, but he did get in trouble uh, because he essentially said, I, I cannot follow the Pope. I do not believe the Pope. I think the church has now gotten to the point where the gospel has been lost. Here's what the gospel is. And so he had all of these, he had this long beef with the Catholic Church, and so there was a trial, right? And so it's the diet of worms or worms. And so the, he's at this trial, and they're saying, like, listen, this is going to be the end of you. You have to recant your doctrines. You have to stop your teaching. And I want to read you what he says because he speaks to this issue of conscience, much like, much like Paul does. So, it's 1521, Luther's told to recant, and here's his response. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. 
My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me, God. Amen. You know what happens when you, when you, when you break with your conscience. You feel it, right? You feel it. It can be as, as small as a, as a distracting sort of buzzing in your heart, or it can be as overwhelming as waves of uh, conviction and even despair. Follow your conscience as you follow Jesus, right? That's what Paul is telling them to do. Listen, let everybody follow their conscience as they're following Jesus, right? They got the gospel square. They're holding on to their Bibles. Do your best. So be charitable, follow your conscience, and number three, lastly, protect your brother and your sister. Have an other's orientation. Look out for the people with whom you disagree. We see this in verses 13 through 23 in Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Conscience, right? That's the conscience. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Paul keeps saying this, right? He wants the truth to be known. Don't be confused. They're wrong in their understanding of clean and unclean foods. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So on the matter of the conscience here, Paul says, listen, even though the scripture says it's not wrong for you to eat bacon. It's not wrong. But if you're convinced the scripture tells you it is wrong and then you eat it, you are sinning. You're actually committing an offense against God because you are intentionally doing what you believe is wrong. So keep that in mind as we talk about this need to protect um, our, our brothers and sisters. And the idea of protecting them is, is to not put stumbling blocks in their way. Don't cause them to stumble. Now, what does it mean to cause a brother or a sister to stumble? Because there are a lot of Christians out there that like to talk about causing brothers to stumble and what this means, and they have, they have their own sort of take on it. 
But as best as we can make sense, in, in, in here in Romans uh, 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, we'll just briefly reference that here in, in a minute. To cause someone to stumble is to tempt them, is to tempt them to go against their conscience. That's what it means. It's to tempt them, to lure them to do what they think is wrong. You are not causing your brother or your sister to stumble if you simply offend them. Now, we shouldn't go around offending each other. Give no reason to just go around offending each other. But just because someone takes offense at what you do does not mean that they are stumbling. Stumbling is when you are tempted or lured to do what you think is sin. So one of the common examples that people bring up is um, beer, wine, alcohol, whatever. And they'll say like, oh, wow, that uh, you should not drink. And this is a good example because they're trying to work with Scripture. And Scripture says, well, that, you know, wine is a a mocker. Beer is a a brawler, right? Do not get drunk on wine. There's prohibitions against against, um, drunkenness. And so there are Christians who look at that and they, they see the devastation that alcohol has caused and they go, therefore, I'm never going to drink. And if they say, my conscience won't let me drink and I'm never going to drink, according to Paul, what are we supposed to do? High five them, let them do their thing. And what are they supposed to do with those of us who choose to drink? In moderation. They don't have to say that. That's how big of an issue this still is. <laughs> so what are they supposed to say to us? They're supposed to high five us and say, you do you, boo-boo. That's what they're supposed to say. <laughs> We're supposed to get along. We're supposed to be charitable toward each other. That's the point. But oftentimes, there are people in this discussion who want to make the argument, like, no, no, no. No, it's wrong, it's sinful for you to do it. You shouldn't do this either, and you're not looking out for me. You're causing me to stumble. We're not, you're, you're not causing them to stumble, you're just irritating them. There's a big difference. Th- that irritation is marked by self-righteousness and a misunderstanding of God's word, not their conscience. So, Paul says... Look out for one. Do not, uh, do not tempt. Do not try to get people to do what their conscience says is wrong. So if they don't, or if they're not comfortable eating food sacrificed to idol or drinking beer or having wine or whatever it is, then in your presence, what are you supposed to do? Put that stuff away. Don't flaunt that stuff in front of them. You don't have to be talking about it around. You leave them alone. Like let them do their thing. Be a good host. Just take what you're given in the context of that relationship. Now, of course, this goes both ways, and, and Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians 8, because there's another issue that comes into play here, and that is meat sacrificed to idols. We don't have time to go into it deep, but let me just say this. During all of this, in the marketplace, you could buy meat, and sometimes the best meat was made by pagans. The pagans had good meat. They would offer up these sacrifices to false gods. Think Satanism, demons. That's what it all ultimately is, right? And so these pagans who hate Jesus, uh, don't like the church, they're, they're killing animals and they're offering this up to their false gods and then they sell that meat at the market. And some Christians were like, yeah, man, give me that demon meat. <laughs> that's the good meat. I like that demon meat. And uh, they understood they're free to eat the demon meat, whatever, that's fine. But then there were other, there were other Christians who were like, I, I can't. My conscience won't let me because 
I used to worship that demon. I used to follow that way. That was my life. There is no way I can eat that at all. So a similar issue, right? One conscience is like, I can eat the demon meat. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no such thing as like gods like that. They're not gods. And then the other Christian is like, I can't. I cannot do it. So what should we do to each other? Hug it out and let each other do their thing. And Paul says, listen, if you're at somebody's house and they're giving you some meat, don't ask him, is this demon meat, by the way? Because uh, I do not want to have demon. Paul says, don't ask, just eat the food. Be a good guest. And if you're a host and if you know somebody ain't eating the demon meat, then just like let it go. Don't, like, don't, don't bring it up. And you know what, better yet, don't serve that. Serve something else. Right? So that's the point. But listen, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 12. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat foods offered to idols. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Paul's saying the same thing, isn't he? Thus, you're sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul believes, like, deference, not defiance, not I'm going to teach them a lesson, those dummies. They don't understand theology. They don't get it right. I'm going to pound it into their head. That's not what Paul does here. They're square on the gospel. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a matter of conscience. And so deference is given. Charity is extended. They're encouraged to follow your conscience as you're following the Lord. In Philippians, last scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's supposed to be our orientation toward each other. This is how. We're supposed to live. So let me say this. This does not give false teachers and legalists room in the church. Legalism must be called out. Paul will be the first one to say like, hey man, let, let, let them abstain and, and, and they'll honor the Lord in that. But if those people are saying you can't be saved if you eat meat sacrificed to idol, Paul would say, give me that demon meat. We're having it right now. And I'm going to show you all that you're heretics. He doesn't play when it comes to the gospel. You can't show deference to a false teacher. But to Christians on matters of conscience, where there is confusion or misunderstanding, we do show deference. The gospel must always be guarded because ultimately you're not looking out for your brother and your sister if you're not guarding the gospel. Why does this matter? Well, it matters because it has to do with how we relate to each other. But it's, it goes back to this. God reconciles us to himself. He takes the initiative, doesn't he? He reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for us that we might be reconciled. And that same gospel now reconciles us to each other. So in Christ, we receive grace but we also learn grace. We receive God's love, but we, we learn God's love so we know to, to be the initiators of mercy and charity, of understanding and compassion. 
God has given you his word. We need to do our best to understand it. We follow the Lord. We should be led by the Spirit. But we also will follow our conscience in this, or we will sin. And we ought to protect our brothers and sisters at all costs, putting them first. It's better, it's better to be charitable than to just be right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be right. We want to be accurate, but we want to be loving and kind. Forgive us for our pride and arrogance. Lord, we all fall prey to it. Help us to be learners and lovers of the truth and of each other. God, we pray that, uh, that you would be pleased to continue to promote love and unity and a fruitful mission here among us all. In Christ's name, amen.